Jovan Gwynn could be Falcons offensive line coach Dwayne Ledford's secret plan project and plan B if center Drew Dolman doesn't work out. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman, a.k.a. Mr. Drew, a.k.a. Sirius Black, and, of course, the very humble host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, your team every day. And we thank each and every one of you that makes us your first listen. Make sure you follow in the footsteps of the everydayers out there that check out this illustrious podcast each and every day by subscribing or following for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. So today, the day has finally arrived that we are wrapping up my film breakdown, scouting reports, whatever you want to call them, of the Falcons 2023 NFL draft class, wrapping things up with seventh round offensive lineman, guard slash center out of South Carolina, Jovan Gwynn, and we'll break down what I think Gwynn could be here in Atlanta, whether or not he has the potential to push a player like Drew Dolman for the starting center position, maybe be in the mix at the guard position. So we'll break all of that down on today's episode. But first, let's get a little background information on Jovan Gwynn. Hails from the Charlotte area, was a four-star recruit out of high school. Uh, from what I've read, uh, kind of narrowed down his two final choices to South Carolina and NC State. NC State happened to have an offensive line coach by the name of what was his name? Dwayne Ledford. I think he's currently the offensive line coach of the Atlanta Falcons. I've heard maybe, maybe you guys have heard of him. Um, but you know, all that sarcasm aside, it does feel like because Dwayne Ledford was, you know, recruited Javon Gwynn. Oh, so many years ago, like this was kind of like led, um, you know, coach led as they call him. We're not going to call him D led because th there's only one D led in the world. Uh, but and Coach Ledford was kind of pounding the table for Javon Gwynn. And it's kind of similar to, you know, what we talked about last time with DeMarco Hellams, who overlapped with a couple of Falcons assistants while he was at Alabama. And so maybe that's something that we'll keep an eye on in the future for like these seventh round picks where these are just kind of like, hey, there's a coach on staff that is like, I know this guy, draft this kid. He's a talented player. And what Javon Gwynn showed at South Carolina, he was a four-year starter at right guard for them, played over 3,000 snaps at that right guard position, did dabble as a left guard for 15 snaps as a freshman, then I think played one as a junior, uh, so 16 total snaps as a left guard, according to PFF, and then 14 career snaps at center, the position he's likely to transition to here in Atlanta, and the expectation is, and all 14 of those snaps came in South Carolina's bowl game this past year against uh, Notre Dame, and he played basically two series, from what I could tell, at that center position. Don't exactly know why, because they just switched him and, and the guy who had been starting the entire year at center to right guard for like two series. But, you know, watching those two series, the first series was kind of rough because he was his his shotgun snaps were very low. Uh, but then the second, as as he 
continue to snap more. And with the second series, it was a non-issue. So that's a very positive sign that he was basically within a dozen or so snaps able to figure out the snapping issue uh, so that I don't think that's going to be a huge transition for him uh, in the pros learning how to snap. Uh, he did get some reps at the NFLPA Bowl and the Senior Bowl at the center position. Um, he was a late senior bowl addition. I believe he was replacing Ohio state offensive tackle Dewan Jones, uh, on the third day of practices there. I did go back and watch both the NFL PA bowl and the senior bowl to watch him in the game. I thought he played really well in the games. I obviously I wasn't on hand for the NFL PA practices. Uh, I was on hand for the senior bowl practice and my recollection and then going back and watching a couple of the one-on-ones, it was a little up and down for him in those one-on-ones, uh, but I can only assume that he played well in the scene, in the NFLPA practices because he was one of three offensive linemen drafted uh, from that game. Gwen wound up measuring in at 6'2", 297 at the combine, 31 and three-quarter inch arms, uh, which is third percentile for a guard, slightly better for a center, 13th percentile arm length for a center position, ran well. For the center position, uh, 79th percentile, 40 time, 87th percentile in a broad jump. Uh, also had a really impressive bench press. Um, his agilities weren't great, right? 33rd percentile, three cone, 20th percentile short shuttle. Um, but because of the impressive numbers in other areas, his relative athletic score, his RAS, RAS, whatever you want to call it, was pretty high. 7.81 for a guard, 7.39 for a center. But when I watched the film, despite his good athletic testing that that indicates that you know he's a 70th percentile athlete or above uh, on the interior you know if i would have guessed based off of watching the film i probably would have assumed that he was closer to like 50th percentile he's not a bad athlete but it just seemed more average to me than a plus athlete that you know being in the 70th percentile would suggest and we'll talk about how that those limitations in terms of athleticism manifest in his game later on in today's episode, but let's talk about the positives that he brings. And I think the biggest positive that Javon Gwynn brings to the table is mean strength, right? Is that ability to finish, to play to and through the whistle. Um, you know, our, our good buddy, Justin Tuck, uh, as he labeled Joe Hawley back in the day would label uh, Javon Gwynn as a dirtbag. And, you know, that's an affectionate term, at least among offensive players when it comes to offensive linemen. Defensive players may feel uh, very differently about that, but I would even argue that, Gwynn's mean streak and his ability to finish plays, if you go back and look at the last 10 offensive linemen that the Falcons have drafted, which goes all the way back to, I think, Wes Schweitzer uh, in the 2016 draft, I, I think you can make a pretty compelling argument, and I certainly probably would make that argument. Maybe it's recency bias, but that Javon Gwynn has the meanest streak of any of those guys. He's, he's the nastiest of the offensive linemen that the Falcons have drafted over the last seven, eight drafts, right? Uh, another thing that stood out about Gwynn's uh, film was that he did a good job adjusting to stunts, right? And that gets us to, you know, some of the issues and, and some of the positives he had in pass protection, where I watched seven games or charted seven games and saw him lose about 13 reps where he gave up a pressure or a sack or something like that. And only about two of those, so about 15% of those uh, losses came due to either speed or power, right? Most of his losses, about 60% of them came off of stunts, Right. And even though I just said he was good at adjusting them, it was that he was good at adjusting to them to the point um, that he was able to at least, you know, redirect those guys off of those stunts uh, to prevent sacks. Uh, and, and they wind up going wide of the quarterback. And that that is a skill. Right. That is a skill that and we've seen over the years that the Falcons have had issues 
picking up stunts on, on certain aspects of their offensive line. So that to me speaks to, you know, Gwen playing with a little bit more awareness than you typically see at the collegiate level. Now about 23% of his losses came off of pass rush moves technique. Um, and most of that was, you know, swim moves, right? Um, and that's a, a factor. And we'll talk a little bit more about how his playing style when it comes to pass protection leads to him being a little bit more susceptible to swim moves. So my my concern with him is the power and the speed is going to be different at the NFL level. So he'll be more susceptible to that as well as those swim moves than necessarily the stunts. But it was very clear to me that the vast majority of his he didn't lose that many one on one reps. And that was something that stood out. On film, we'll talk a little bit about some of the reasons behind that. But you know, I think in terms of his pass protection ability, uh, you know, he does anchor reasonably well, right? He does have good hand placement and good punching power, right? He does have good enough feet to mirror, so he kind of checks all the boxes you need to be an effective pass protector. I do think there still are going to be physical limitations that he's going to have to overcome. And so therefore all of these things, the anchor, the hand placement, the footwork, these things are going to be things that need to be refined even more to overcome these physical limitations. And we'll talk about those limitations uh, coming up on, on today's episode. We'll talk about whether or not the move to center will help or hurt hide some of these limitations as we continue today's locked on Falcons. But first, guys, baseball season is in full swing, and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because right now new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets, even if your first bet doesn't win. You can't lose. So head on over to FanDuel uh, to bet on Major League Baseball, or you can bet on whatever you want, right? You can bet on the upcoming NBA draft and see who you think is going to be, you know, probably not the number one pick because that seems like a lock, but, you know, two through 13 to fill out the lottery, who the Hawks are going to take, right? Uh, you can also bet on the upcoming NFL season. You can bet on tennis. You can bet on B. John Robinson winning offensive player of the year. You can bet on golf. It's all available at America's number one sports book. So visit fanduel.com slash locked on and you'll get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's fanduel.com slash locked on fanduel, an official partner of major league baseball. So when we talk about Jovan Gwynn and some of those limitations, and the main thing that really stood out about Jovan Gwynn on film was he tends to rely very heavily on jump sets. And for those of you that are unfamiliar with jump sets, think of it as normally offensive linemen are taught to be reactive when it comes to pass protection and building that pocket, right? And jump sets is basically an offensive lineman being proactive and, and attacking the defensive lineman before that, right? You know, we love our historic analogies here on Locked on Falcons. We talk about, you know, how defense and offense relate to like castle sieges in the past. And, you know, all of that is owed to the fact that I have a degree in history and then a recession hit. And that degree basically became worth less than the paper it was printed on. And I guess I was like, hey, you know, I guess I should get into podcasting. That's that might be a real thing in the future. Um, and here we are. But, you know, I, I do love to occasionally dust off that history degree every now and then on the podcast to get some usage out of it. And the way I would liken, you know, offensive line and pass protection, as you guys probably are, are familiar with, it's like forming a shield wall, right? Where you're, you know, you're a bunch of guys, you know, out there trying to keep the 
quarterback cleaning and keep the defensive line, the attackers from getting through that line through your shields and, and sort of interlocking shields, phalanx, all that sort of stuff. Right? We're not going to go too deep into that. But jump set is basically you deciding, to, you know what? Forget the shield wall. I'm just going to go and attack the offensive line, the defensive lineman uh, by going forward rather than going backwards. And it is a useful tool in an NFL offensive lineman's arsenal. Right? We talked about this when we did the Chris Lindstrom uh, scouting report many years ago, how Chris Lindstrom um relied uh, heavily on jump setting even though he didn't need to because of how good an athlete he was and all this various thing that he could just do traditional pass protection uh but i don't think that's the case with javon gwen right he tends to have to need to rely on jump setting and that's where the arm length concerns shows up right because you know having short arms on the offensive line is less meaningful when you're an interior player like Javon Gwynn is projected to be versus when you're an offensive tackle, right? That's a reason why everybody was talking about Northwestern tackles. Peter Scrooge can say, kick him inside the guard. This is to me a factor in why Caleb McGarry struggled so much in his first couple of years, uh, you know, due to his short arms playing on the outside. And, you know, fortunately, you know, there aren't as many good long D tackles in the NFL as there are, you know, edge rushers that can really exploit that weaknesses when you have short arms, but there are plenty of players, you know, you know, there's Chris Jones is the obvious example. Obviously there aren't many guys like Chris Jones walking around, but there are a lot more guys that are built like Chris Jones in the NFL than there are that you see in college, even if you're playing in the sec like Javon Gwynn. And that was something that was notable about Gwynn that when you saw him against some of the premium competition in the SEC, the Georgia D tackles over the last couple of years, Javon Dexter at Florida, another one of those long D tackles, um, you know, it got exposed a little bit. And so what that does is Javon Gwynn forces to jump set guys because he knows if that defender gets the initiative, right, and can sort of, you know, attack him first right? That arm length is going to be a problem for Javon Gwen, and it puts him at a disadvantage. So he counters that by being aggressive, being proactive and hitting the defensive lineman before they can hit him. And that's effective in college because you're facing, you know, lesser talent, unrefined pass rushers, guys that don't necessarily have a pass rush plan. But when you get to the NFL, especially if you're going to be a starter in the NFL, you're facing a bunch of guys that do have all of those boxes checked, you know, rushing with a plan, being refined, all that stuff. And those NFL defensive tackles are going to do a thing that some of the college ta defense tackles were successfully able to do, which is hit him with that quick swim move when he tries to jump set you, right? And that was something where he didn't give up a ton of pressure to swim moves, as I noted earlier, but that swim move was consistently effective against him when um, guys were able to disengage from his blocks uh, a number of times when they use that swim move because of his tendency to rely on that jump set. And so that can be a problem for him, um, you know, at the next level. Now, the good thing about Javon Gwynn moving to center is that these issues that we're talking about that could, you know, rear their ugly head in the NFL should be less of an issue at center than they are at guard, right? Because a center is going to have less situations where they're blocking one-on-one -on -one against a defensive tackle than a guard is going to have. And that was what was interesting about watching his film at South Carolina, because there weren't that many instances in my eyes even though Gwyn was a guard that he was kind of isoed one-on-one in pass protection right that a lot of times you know he would go and slide to the center to help out that guy against the nose tackle and I think some of that's owed to the fact that a lot of college teams 
Uh, and this is less an issue in the SEC than it is elsewhere in college football. But a lot of college teams use three-man fronts, right? And so you would have a nose tackle lined up over the center, a defensive end lined up over the right tackle. And a lot of times Javon Gwynn was kind of sitting there you know, trying to make a decision of do I slide to help the center or do I slide to help my right tackle? And more often than not, he seemed to slide to help the center. And he'll be in a similar situation playing center in the NFL where he'll have the guard potentially slide to him or he'll slide to protect the guard because he's going to face far more four-man fronts uh, in the NFL than probably he did uh, in college. And so that could be an issue if he's at guard um, than it was at center. But I do think he can function as a guard if like an injury happens and you need an emergency fill-in uh, you know, for a game or two. Right, he can be a functional starter for you at that guard spot, but I think his limitations are going to show up a lot more at that guard position than they will at center. I still think he'll get exposed from time to time at center, especially when he's facing some of the beefier, you know, nose tackles, some of the longer guys uh, in the league. But it should be at least less so at the center position than it is at the guard position. Now, the other issue I had with Javon Gwynn's film, and we talked about some of the positives he brings in pass protection. I wasn't that impressed with his run blocking, right? Um, although I do think this is an area that can get it better, but uh, he didn't qu- consistently fire off the ball uh, in order to get that leverage against the run. And despite being a shorter guy, like, you know, guys were able to get under him because he didn't necessarily fire off the ball. And he needs to be a guy that kind of fires off the ball. And that was, you know, comparing him to Matthew Bergeron, that was something that Bergeron consistently did was coming off the ball with, you know, intensity and authority and whatnot. But, you know, Gwen has to be that more of that guy because he doesn't necessarily have the size or power to create movement alone off of that. And part of the reason why he doesn't create movement is because Gwen does not do a good job driving his feet once he does make that contact, right? That, you know, run blocking is essentially, particularly for the interior guys, you have two 300 pound guys colliding in a collision and whether, you know, they go one way or the other is kind of dependent on who's the guy that not necessarily wins the initial uh, contact, although that helps. It's that ability to, to turn your feet and drive your legs to create that, uh, you know, subsequent movement after that initial clash. And so, you know, the way that Gwen is a run blocker, you know, he's more of a guy that's getting in the way. He's getting position as opposed to, you know, creating movement and opening holes for guys. And that's fine, especially in the outside zone scheme. Like that's more of a, you got to get position. And so he has the tools to get better there and and improve there, but you would like to see a little bit more, you know, power uh, and movement skills to not only lock on to those defensive linemen, but then move them off the ball because he's driving his feet and he just kind of just sits there and holds it and just holds the block as opposed to trying to get movement. But that's something I think can be coached up. Certainly here with the emphasis that we put on the running game should be coached up. The other thing that should get coached up for him is his ability on the second level playing in the outside zone scheme. You've heard me in the past, like in particularly on the interior guys, the centers, the guard, um, those guys have to be heat seeking missiles to hit those linebackers on the second level, to climb to the second level, hit those linebackers, create those extra creases that will help turn, you know, a four yard gain into an eight yard gain or a 10 yard gain and potentially more if the running back can break multiple tackles. Bijan. Um, and so like you need that in this blocking scheme and Gwen's second level blocking was a little underwhelming. It wasn't bad or anything, but it was just a little underwhelming. And so that's another area that I think he has to get better. And I think that's where the lack of change of direction, the lack of agility that showed up in his testing manifests itself on the field, because when it comes to linebackers, you know, they're not just standing there waiting for an, uh, 
to get engulfed at the point of attack by a 300 pound offensive lineman like they're you know one of the ghosts in pac-man you know they're moving around right so you have to be able to hit a moving target and Gwyn did not necessarily do a great job of that but i do think as he gets more comfortable in this blocking scheme and gets coached up these are things that will get better like i feel like the run blocking stuff can get improvement with refinement with technical and development the pass protection issues as i mentioned before some of that is just owed to physical limitations that aren't going to necessarily go away but this gets to the heart of the Dwayne Ledford conversation right because I don't expect Gwyn to come in right away and, and be an impact player but I'm very interested to see where De- Javon Gwyn is you know with development you know in years three in year four and beyond because we know that that's typically around the time where offensive linemen take a little bit longer to develop than some other positions and that's when year three year four is usually when those guys start to hit their stride And I'm very curious to see with Dwayne Ledford, you know, getting him that development, will we see Javon Gwynn make a significant jump because he's able to refine some of the technical elements. He's able to compensate for some of his physical limitations, right? And this is where you have to buy into the makeup and the person and the intangibles and all these various things. And that's what makes projecting these players particularly long-term hard because, you know, me sitting here, talking on on the internet like i don't really know about these things and that's something that the teams are supposed to know and you want to give the team the benefit of the doubt but you just never know with the, the type of player and so i think you know gwen is the type of offensive lineman that coaches like Dwayne ledford love because he possesses those high level intangibles and whatnot and so while i don't expect javon gwen to really push drew dalman in year one and probably not even in year two uh, for that starting position, it is notable that Drew Dolman's contract does run out after two years. He will become a free agent entering the 2025 offseason coming off of the 2024 season. And if the Falcons decide that Drew Dolman is not worth giving a second contract because he doesn't necessarily develop at that point, I could easily kind of see Dwayne Ledford coming in and be like, you know, I got this guy, Javon Gwynn, that we've been developing for the last couple of years, you know. Why not give him a shot uh, to be that long-term asset at the center position? Um, And while I don't sit here and and project Gwynn to be a more talented or a better player than Drew Dahlman, in part due to it, I think Drawman doesn't have the same, you know, athletic limitations uh, that Gwynn has in in part due to Dahlman being a much better second-level blocker and whatnot and being a little bit more able to make some of the reach blocks and and be that agile player that you kind of – like in in the outside zone scheme, you know, I wouldn't completely write off the idea that Gwen could turn into a better player if he puts in the time, if he puts in the work to become more reliable, more consistent. In uh, in Dwayne Ledford is in his bag, as they say, uh, coaching him up. And so, you know, I do think Gwen has a number of issues to overcome. But because I have so much faith in Dwayne Ledford, I'm much more open to Gwynn potentially turning into a decent starter in the NFL than I probably would have certainly would have been a couple of years ago, or certainly probably a year ago before, you know, Dwayne Ledford really got into his bag this past season. So that'll be something curious uh, to keep an eye on. We'll wrap up today's episode uh, talking about, you know, some of the players that I will compare Javon Gwynn to talking about a ceiling, talking about his floor. And of course, you know, I got to compare him to some former Falcon center. Is it going to be Todd McClure? Is it going to be Ben Garland? Is it going to be Joe Hawley? Well, it's going to actually be none of the above spoiler alert. And so find out uh, who that player will be as we wrap up today's locked on Falcons guys. But first, 
I want to, you know, give a shout out to the everydayers out there that make this illustrious podcast their first listen. Follow in their footsteps by subscribing on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're checking this out on YouTube and you're an everydayer, please leave us a comment and let me know uh, that you're an everydayer. So wrapping up today's episode with my NFL player comps, and you know, I do this with floor, ceiling, and eye level. And a floor to me is what a player is entering immediately entering the NFL. A ceiling is what their max potential is, you know, four or five years down the road. And the eye level is what I think is, you know, halfway between the floor and the ceiling. And to me, what is going to be the most accurate projection for what a player is going to be, because they'll likely get some development, but may not necessarily get all the development that they need to be the, the quote unquote best case scenario moving forward. So my floor for uh, Javon Gwynn is former Falcon center J.C. Hassenauer. And some of you are like, J.C. who? Right. Well, J.C. Hassenauer was an undrafted free agent out of Alabama for the Falcons back in 2018, did not make the roster that summer, went to the AAF uh, the following year. Uh, and, you know, wound up being a productive starter there and then landed with the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2020. And the last couple of years has been a solid backup center for them, has filled in for, you know, underwhelming starters, has been a solid backup for at injuries, has even dabbled as a guard when there has been uh, injuries there as an emergency option and has at best been serviceable as a guard, but, you know, has been solid as a backup center in fact a couple of years ago was an upgrade over Kendrick Green a player that I liked a lot in that 2021 draft uh and and so that speaks to you know even though I my batting average with evaluating offensive linemen is high it is certainly not a thousand uh because of that Kendrick Green miss but I think like Hassenauer uh Javon Gwynn early in his career should be uh, an effective backup center that can at least dabble as a guard if need be, if you find yourself in a pinch. Now I'm kind of cheating a little bit with this projection of a floor because I'm not necessarily believing that Javon Gwynn week one is going to give you the same value that JC Hassenauer now with like five, six years of development is going to give you uh, you know, day one. This is more a comp to what JC Hassenauer was a couple of years ago when he first got to Pittsburgh. So it's kind of more of a poor man's JC Hassenauer rather than the fully formed version of JC Hassenauer that exists today. But that still is a guy that I think is a competent backup, a serviceable emergency guard. Uh, now on the opposite end of the spectrum, my ceiling comparison for Javon Gwynn is David Andrews. And I use this comp a couple of years ago with Drew Dahlman. I think it fits a little bit better with Andrews just because, you know, I think Dahlman's a little bit more athletic than both Andrews and uh, Gwynn are. But all three of those guys, you know, win because of smarts and toughness and intangibles, not necessarily, be, you know, Dahlman's a good athlete, but he's a small athlete, right? Um, and, and the same is true of, of Andrews and Gwen, and they're less athletes, less athletic, in my opinion, than uh, Drew Dahlman was. But, you know, Andrews has gone on to be start seven out of the last eight years for the Patriots at center, undrafted free agent out of Georgia. At his peak has been graded out, according to PFF, as like a top five center, but most years is still top 10, top 15 guy. I can see with development, if Javon Gwen. You know, if, if if Dwayne Lefford's in his bag, he's turning water into wine, all that stuff and more. I could see Javon Gwynn kind of being probably maybe not a exactly like a top five center like David Andrews has been in this peak, but a guy that's maybe like in the top 12, right? An above average starter. And, you know, Andrews is interesting because like he's been a, this sort of rock solid piece for the better part of a decade in New England. But when you think about some of the good offensive linemen that pay for the Patriots in that period of time, he's usually not one of the first names that comes to mind. I know for me, he's not right. And you're looking at, you know, 
those guys that do come to mind are Joe Tooney and Shaq Mason and Marcus Cannon and Trent Brown and Michael Onwenu and some of those guys. But meanwhile, David Andrews, you know, is that rock, that anchor in the middle of that offensive line for all those units. And I think you can see you're you're hoping for with Javon Gwynn a similar dynamic, right? Where you moving forward, he could be the Falcons starting center, you know, five years from now. Um, And when you think about the good offensive linemen on the Falcons, you think of uh, Chris Lindstrom and Matthew Bergeron, and maybe not five years from now, you know, in the meantime, you think about Jake Matthews, but, you know, five years from now, I'm assuming that the Falcons will probably hopefully find a replacement for a, a quality replacement for Jake Matthews at left tackle and, and potentially as well at right tackle for Kayla McGarry. And so those are kind of the guys that you think about uh, when you think about, oh, you, you know, in the future when the Falcons have a very good offensive line, but quietly like David Andrews, uh, Javon Gwynn is just kind of that rock solid, you know, you know, veteran leader, you know, set tone setter uh, with his toughness and his mean streak and, and all that sort of stuff. And you're, you're kind of hoping that, you know, Dwayne Ledford can be our Dante Skarnecchia uh, as Skarnecchia, you know, was key in developing a player like David Andrews and making him into a, as effective a player. And you're kind of hoping Dwayne Ledford can kind of do the same thing with Javon Gwynn. So that's where that comp kind of comes from. But in reality, my more accurate projection of what I think it's more likely that Javon Gwynn is going to be is my eye level projection. And that is uh, Pat Elfline, formerly of the Carolina Panthers, formerly of the Minnesota Vikings. Elfline was also a questionable athlete coming out of Ohio state in 2017, but was a very high character player uh, coming out of a major program that led to him being a third round pick. He was a day one starter for the Vikings back in 2017, had a pretty solid rookie season, uh, but then injuries hit in the following year and he struggled. They drafted, uh, Garrett Bradbury to upgrade that spot in 2019 debatable whether or not they accomplished that mission uh, and they then they moved Elfline to guard uh, to play next to Bradbury in 2019 and he continued to struggle in that position and then was cut by the Vikings in 2020 scooped up by the Jets in the last two years has played with the Panthers I think he's currently a free agent and basically what I'm projecting Gwen to be like Elfline which is a guy that is a capable backup center capable backup guard right that ideal game day option that can be plugged and played you know in the event of an injury but not a guy that you necessarily want to start right that's kind of what Elfline is it's like if you're starting Pat Elfline you don't want to start him but if you need to start him because of injuries you'll be able to live with that and so it's a backup that you like uh but he's very limited as a starter and that to me is what i think javon gwen is likely to be that sort of more career backup type of player but if you do start him you know like we saw with pat Alfline multiple times in minnesota as well as in carolina the last couple of years if he's a starter for you you're very likely to bring in some veteran or some premium draft pick to upgrade that spot the very next year because of uh gwen's limitations as a starter but is in quote unquote ideal sort of backup. And so when I'm projecting what I expect out of Javon Gwynn over the next couple of years, right, you know, I'm expecting him to make the roster this year. I know when we drafted him, I was skeptical of that at the time. I'm less skeptical of that now. Um, I do think he'll probably be that ninth offensive lineman on the 53-man roster. That's probably going to lead to him being inactive most weeks unless there's an injury. And my suspicion is next year, regardless of whether Hennessy starts this year or not, the Falcons are probably going to let Hennessy walk in free agency uh, at, at that you know left guard center position. And Gwen is a natural to sort of slide into the vacant, you know, emergency interior offensive line backup option that can play center or guard in a pinch 
on game day with a presumably Matthew Bergeron locking down that left guard position long term. And then the following year, you know, that will be Drew Dolman's contract year 2024. That is. Uh, and then, you know, if he doesn't earn a, a second contract. Right. And th that will be the question, you know, in that 2024 year, do is it time to give uh, Drew Dolman a second deal? And if they do, then, you know, Gwen will remain that backup for the next couple of years uh, that he is, you know, has been uh, through the end of his rookie contract uh, through the 2026 season, I believe. Um, and if they don't keep Dolman in 2025, then I could see them signing or drafting somebody else to replace Dolman and then asking him and Gwen to compete for the starting spot. And that's an opportunity where Javon Gwen could basically, you know, win that camp battle uh, potentially. And of course, you know, whether he keeps that job at that point, you know, will depend on how he plays and whatnot. And I'm not going to necessarily go out on a limb and predict how Javon Gwynn's going to perform in uh, 2025 and 2026 uh, at this point in time in 2023. We'll worry about that in 2025 and 2026. So that's kind of my sort of rough outline on projection on what I think the direction that Javon Gwynn is going. Obviously, there are going to be some unforeseen circumstances like injuries and whatnot that may, you know, cause things to veer off to the left or right or whatever and take a detour but we'll just sort of have to see uh how that goes but I, I do think javon gwynn is a adequate backup there are some limitations that i think early in his career if he's forced to play significant times will get exposed but i think if he gets the time in you know the Dwayne ledford academy uh for a couple of years uh to sort of really refine and, and fine-tune his game then I do think he can work out some of the, the weaker aspects of his game and turn into a serviceable, you know, starter um, at the very least in the Pat Elfline mold, but the, with the potential that if he really, you know, you know, graduates magna cum laude or whatever from the Dwayne Ledford Academy, I'm making all this stuff up as I go, guys, as you can tell, um, you know, then you could see him maybe turning into an above average starter at the center position. So we'll just see what happens with Javon Gwynn. That is a wrap for the Falcons 2023 draft class. I don't know if we're going to do that much, you know, uh, on the undrafted free agents, but I'll, I'll check out a couple of those guys over the next couple of days. Now that I don't have, you know, it's like sitting here, like I got to watch some film at something. What who am I going to watch? So maybe I'll watch some of those guys, but I know um, later this week, uh, we'll talk, probably talk a little NFC South stuff, right? We, we haven't spent that much time worrying about the rest of the teams in the NFC South. So uh, that's probably on deck for you guys, uh, you know, later this week. Uh, which day exactly? Don't know, but you know, I'll figure it out, guys. Uh, but that is it for us on today's Locked On Falcons. Really appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, leave a comment. Let me know what you think about your thoughts on Javon Gwynn and, and this projection, as well as hit me up via Twitter or Facebook at Locked On Falcons, via email at Locked On Falcons at mail.com. Uh, and of course, you can hit me up in the Locked On Falcons Discord, a link in the description below, guys. Really appreciate you guys for tuning in to Locked on Falcons. Continue to make us your first listen each and every day. And for your second listen, check out the Locked on NFL podcast to get the lowdown on the other 31 teams and what they are doing as they get geared up for training camp. Uh, and that's all part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.